strong church is made up of strong families. You can't have a strong church without strong families. Strong families are made up of strong marriages and of healthy homes. A pastor has indicated a desire to have connected families that are spiritually healthy, financially healthy, and emotionally healthy. And we've had a series on spiritual health. We know that spiritual health is a vertical pursuit. It's us and God. We've had a series on financial health. Financial health is purposed living combined with constraints and the desires of life. It is a depth. Emotional health is now being presented as both internal and horizontal. There are three areas of emotional health that we're going to cover over the next few weeks. The home, the church, and the individual. And tonight we're going to be speaking on emotional health in the home. Amen. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus said, Every house divided against itself shall not stand. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4, says, Through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding it is established. And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. If you're going to build a house, and you're going to have it filled with precious and pleasant riches, you're going to have to work. It's not just going to happen. You're going to have to... You're going to have to uh, have understanding, and you're going to have to gain knowledge. And that's what we're here to do tonight. We're here to talk about having an emotionally healthy home, and hopefully there's some knowledge that you'll gain from the Word of God and maybe from some of the things that I say. We'll see. You know, I, I, I want to apologize to all of you. I'm so grateful that you came tonight, and I am sorry that I don't have a handout for you to fill in and doodle on. Uh, you know, Pastor and so many of the other men that, that come and they teach, and they have a handout for you, and I'm just not, I'm not good at handouts yet. Like, I'm just, I don't, I'll try to do better in the future uh, if, if the opportunity presents itself. And hopefully, in the meantime, maybe you just have some notebook paper you can, you can doodle on that, and, or whatever. Um, maybe make some notes. So we're going to have to work at it. If we're going to have emotionally healthy homes, it's not just going to happen. It's not just going to take place. You're going to have to do some things. And so uh, just a few points tonight that we're going to go over to talk about uh, things that I think uh, would, would make up an emotionally healthy home. The first thing that I want to talk about is structure. An emotionally healthy home is supported by structure. Uh, I've said this before. I don't know where she is. I told my sister-in-law this not too long ago. Structure breeds structure. Organization breeds organization. Similarly, chaos breeds chaos. So if there's chaos in your home, it's just going to keep creating more chaos. And the way to stop that is to get structure, to get organization. And what's great is just the smallest amount of organization will lend itself and will lead itself to where you begin to have more organization, more structure in your home. So be intentional. It's not just going to happen on its own. You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to make, make an effort. You're going to have to make some intentional decisions, some intentional choices to have emotionally healthy homes. Amen. I, I heard someone say once, they were talking about uh, the industry of, uh, you know, working with metal and, and machining things, and they talked about standards, and they talked about how that in the industry where you're making, I don't see Caleb or Samuel, Caton, I don't guess they're here, they're, out, they're in kids' church, they're here somewhere. Um, I see Sister Caton. They both do machining, and so I think they would understand I don't know, Brother Frank, maybe you know what I'm talking about. I don't know. Uh, there's a standard. In those industries, the standard is not the end-all, be-all. It's, it's the least that you are expected. When you talk about a standard, what you're saying is, if I tell you this is the standard for this piece, you are comfortable that it's at least within this 
range of accuracy. But that's not the optimal or the, or the premium. That's just like the base. Like this, it has to be at least this. That's what a standard is. A standard is the, is the least expected. It's like this is the baseline. And so, so many times I, I feel like we look at standards as, this, as we've arrived. You know, I'm holding up the standards. And I'm not even really talking about uh, outward dress or outward appearance. I'm talking about any kind of a standard. Um, well, you know, I read my Bible today. Okay, well, that's a standard. But I don't know that just saying, well, you know, Jesus wept. Okay, good, I'm, I've got it done. That's not necessarily the optimum. That's not like where we want to be, but it's at least we've done something. And so I think if, if you could come up with standards in your home, my wife and I had a list of standards. Man, that sounds so harsh and rough and, I don't know, kind of starchy. But it worked really well. <laughs> it worked really well for three kids uh, to know what was expected. Uh, you know, I realize, I want to say this really quick, I realize that I am talking to a mixed group. This is not a children-raising class. I know that I have people in this room that are single. I have people in this room that don't have children. I have people in this room that are on their great-grandchildren. <laughs> so maybe you could tell me a thing or two, right? Um, but I think all the things that I've got to say can apply to every life, to every time of life, to every stage of life. And, and if it doesn't necessarily apply to you, I'm sure you know someone that it would apply to or that it would help. Whether you have children in the home or not, Knowing what's expected is, is good, is nice. I went to do an appraisal today, and I knocked on the door, and the lady answered, and I told her who I was, and she said, uh, okay, and I, I told her I'm going to go around the outside and do what I do, and when I get done, I'm going to come in. I need you to take off your shoes. Okay, that's a standard. They don't wear their shoes in the house. I know what to expect. When I get to the door and I'm ready to come in, I'm taking my shoes off. I'm not wearing my shoes in their home. It's a standard. Standards are good, and it doesn't matter whether you have children or not. There are probably all kinds of people in here that are like, well, you're going to take the shoes off and come to my house too. It's good. It's a standard. It's a rule. It's an expectation. And when people know the expectation, it helps. And so we had a whole set of standards that that um, that we put together. We didn't come up with them on our own. Um, there's a book that I want to tell you about. If you are raising children or getting ready to raise children, I think this is a great book. If you are a grandparent and you know someone that's getting ready to raise children, Helping Your Child Become by Timothy and and Kirsten King. It's an apostolic couple. Um, Some of the reviews that I've seen about the book say that it's legalistic um, and that it incorporates corporal punishment. You do you. (laughs) <laughs> you do you, but there's standards in this book that were really good, and it was really helpful. We had church standards. When your mom and dad stand to worship, you stand to worship. And then juke and jive, but be appropriate. You know, before church and after church, we are eagles. I had to go back and get the book and read what that meant because I couldn't remember. Eagles soar above. They don't get down into all the stuff that a lot of the other uh, creatures get into. They're, they, they're regal and they soar above. So when other kids are doing something, you don't have to be involved with that. But what was good about it, when we go to the store, your hand's on the cart. This was standards that we gave our kids. It was an expectation that we set for them. It was, this is how it's going to be so that you know what to do. You know how to behave. I have standards in my home today, still today. We have standards. Now, they have drastically changed. They are not anything like they were when our kids were three, five, and seven. They're very different. Um, they're just so that you know and you're not wondering about it, and you can write this on your notes. They're 23, 25, and 27, and they're still in my home. So apparently I'm not being mean enough. I don't know. I'm working on it, though. I really am. But uh, we have a standard. You will be as nice to each other as you are to a stranger at Walmart. I'm not going to allow you in my home to treat your siblings worse than you would treat someone at Walmart. Oh, excuse me, after you. Yep, that's how you're going to treat your siblings in my home. It's a standard. It's an expectation. I have, um, I have uh, another standard. I always tried to give my kids a choice. 
I remember one day when we lived in St. Louis, Ashlyn came in. She was so upset. I've already told most of my family, sorry, and you'll have to deal with it. I, I can't help it. Um, it was Sunday morning. We're getting ready for church. She comes in. She's all upset, bent out of shape. She's not happy. Mom wants me to wear this dress, and I don't want to wear it. I look stupid in it, whatever. I don't remember what the reasons were. I don't know. You were, she was 12, I think, or 11. I don't know. And I was like, I don't remember what, what that was about exactly, but she's just going on and on and on. I let her finish her spiel. And then I said, well, tell you what, you, you've always made really good choices. You're really intelligent and responsible. So I'm going to give you a choice. If you'd like to stay home from church today, just stay home. I think that's how she ended it. I just want to stay home from church. I said, okay, well, guess what? If you want to stay home from church, you go right ahead. And she said, that, that, was, that was too easy. What's going on? I said, well, you're really smart. You're really responsible. You've always made really good decisions and I think this is not a good decision. You have a lot of rights, a lot of freedom because of your wise choices, and this is not a wise choice. So you stay home if you'd like to, but if you stay home, know for a fact, I'm taking your sister and your brother out to eat, then we're going to go get ice cream, then we're going to go to Six Flags. It's a choice. And so stay home if you want to, or go get ready for church, right? She says, are we going to go do those things if I go to church? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> no way. I said, Ashlyn, go in your room. Find an outfit that your mom will be okay with for Sunday morning. And get ready for church. Or stay home. It's up to you. And she went in her room and she got ready. She didn't wear the outfit that my wife had put out for her. She wore a different outfit. But it was an outfit that was acceptable for a Sunday morning service. Instead of a jean skirt and a t-shirt like many of the kids probably have on tonight. Um, she made a decision, and it was the right decision. But I always, I always try to give my, my kids a choice. That has changed. I still give them choices. One of them rolls their eyes or smarts off to my wife. I say, would you like to fix that, or would you like me to fix it? That's worked wonders for me. I used to do that. Todd was playing on his Xbox or Nintendo or whatever it was. And Robin had called him to dinner like five times, and he hadn't come. And I opened the door, and I said, you want to turn that thing off, or you want me to turn it off? Because I'm going to turn it off. I'm just going to take it out and throw it in the dumpster. That's going to be it. It's going to be off. He goes, I got it, I got it, I got it. He jumped up. I always give him choices. You want to clean up your toys, or you want me to clean up your toys? Ask them. Ask them how that went when I cleaned up their toys. It involved black trash bags. I try to be consistent and, and I think that provides a healthy, emotionally healthy environment. Be consistent in between different times, between the different kids, between the different situations, between whatever's going on. Consistency is good. My dad was always very consistent. Um, he always told telemarketers and his kids, if I have to answer now, right now, the answer is no. And that was a standard in our home. If I have to, Dad, Dad, can I go to Tony's house? I don't know. Because this was the other standard that I didn't know about then, but he knew about it. I've got to talk to my wife to find out if you can have a friend over. I'm not going to make that decision on my own because it's not just my decision to make. It impacts her, so we're going to have a conversation. I've got to go now. They're leaving. If I have to answer now, the answer is no. Bam. Standard. Consistent. All the time. Never changed. And I think maybe to my wife, to my mother as well, I don't know, do he ever say that to you? If I have to answer right now, the answer is no. I think he probably says it a different way than he said it to me. Um, that probably doesn't go exactly the same for her. But anyway, uh, small children, if you have small children in your home, they thrive on structure. They thrive on it. It's so important to their life. We... Um, we had set bedtimes, and I would leave for work, and I would say, we have set times that we're getting up, but I don't know if it ever actually happened. Uh, but that's helpful. Robin had set times for the kids to eat when they were babies. If you're having a newborn baby, she would not, we'd be at church on a Sunday night, she would be so unhappy if somebody came up with the kid and said, hey, I put him to sleep for you. No, it's only eight. They don't go to sleep at eight on church. They got, they got to, we got to feed them at 11. 
we got to keep them awake until 11, feed them at 11, then you can sleep until 6. They, they, they strive. They thrive on structure. It's good for them. So how do I get there from here, you say? My life is chaos. There's chaos everywhere. What do I do? Start small. Pick something and do it. Make your bed. Get, when you get up in the morning, make your bed. You, you know, Some people say they say the name of Jesus before they put their feet on the ground. Okay, good. Say the name of Jesus and then make your bed. Have a prayer and then make your bed. Kneel beside your bed and pray and then make your bed. It's a thing. I always, uh, I used to, when I drove a truck, I had this thing. If you have a clean windshield, it feels like your truck is clean. And I, I drove a trash truck, so you can imagine it wasn't clean, but it felt like it was because my windshield was clean. And I always felt that way about my room. If my bed was made, my room felt clean, even if everything was a mess. Make your bed. Man, I sound like your mom. Structure starts with small steps. One small step at a time. Do something. Make one step, and you can get to structure. The second point I'd like to talk about is to be disciplined, which is different from structure, but it's similar. It's, it's in the same family. Exercise constraint. Start routines. Over time, they will become healthy habits. And again, start one day at a time, one thing at a time. Uh, you know, I've been trying to make sure that my suits, that my suits keep fitting me, um, mostly because I don't want to have to buy new suits. And so I started around the beginning of the year, several of the guys uh, maybe joined with us, and we started trying to see who could lose 5% of their body weight in eight weeks. Uh, Alexander Todd and, and Brother Terry Broadstreet were working with that, and um, man, I, I didn't like it at all. I hated it. He, he had me download this app, the Lose It app, and then I'm tracking all my calories. That is awful. I hated it. I didn't realize how many calories I was consuming. But man, once I started looking at it, so I just, you know, the first step was just to start tracking it, whether I hit my mark or not. There were days I didn't make it. There were days I ate more than I was supposed to, but at least I knew. It was one step. I downloaded an app. I was confused. I was like, how do I do this? How do I do that? I don't understand. I'm, I'm going to the grocery store. I'm going to the convenience store. I'm trying to pick out good stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's only 100 calories, but it's all carbs. And, and what about protein? And what about, you know, is it too much fat or is it not? You know, just start tracking your calories, Jeff. Just track the calories. Just start with that. It was one step. Now, I'm like, not any better about being unhappy about tracking the calories, but I'm a whole lot better at knowing what's a protein and what's a carb and what foods are low in calories, but they're still not good for you, Brother Eric, or maybe they're, you know, grilled chicken, and then you're good. Just chicken all the time. Grilled, no breading. Don't deep fry it. Anyway, start with one step. (laughs) Just start with a step. Binging is not good. It doesn't matter what it is. Binging is not good. You know, you're driving down the road, you listen to the radio, and somebody says, I spent the entire weekend binging uh, every season of NCIS. That's not good for you. It's not good for you. Be disciplined. Be disciplined for the sake of being disciplined, for that matter. You'll be amazed what will happen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, Be angry and sin not. We're talking about having an emotionally healthy home. We're talking about having discipline. Be angry and sin not. You know, I always think about that scene in the Gospels where Jesus walked into the temple and threw the money changers' tables. And I always think to myself, I think he was angry. I actually have had times in my life where I thought be angry and sin not was in that part of the Bible where Jesus threw the tables, the money changers. (laughs) Because that's what he was doing. He was being angry. Now, whether or not he was, I guess he wasn't sinning because he's Jesus, right? I I feel like if I was to do that, it would be, I would get myself in trouble. You're going to have feelings. There's going to be times when things don't go well, when things don't go the way you want them to. There's going to be times your family members are going to disappoint you. 
The people that live in your house are going to do something that infringes on your rights or your freedoms. The person that you wake up next to is not going to be doing things that you find pleasant. And you're going to be irritated by it or you're going to be upset by it. Or you're maybe even going to be angry. So be angry. Just don't sin. Feelings, I I say this all the time, I probably say it way too much, but I think it's important and it's meant a lot to me. Feelings lie. Feelings don't always tell the truth. You're going to have feelings, but they don't always tell the truth. They lie. How about feelings are an indicator, but they don't have to dictate your behavior. You're going to have feelings. Sometimes they're going to be good feelings, sometimes they're not going to be good feelings. Regardless of your feelings, you need to be disciplined enough to not let them dictate bad behavior. Man. This is easy to say. (laughs) But I think even today, I shut the door to my car and it didn't shut all the way. And I opened it back up and slammed it shut. Because I'm practicing what I preach. (laughs) I had a feeling... Because I don't know why the door didn't shut. It irritated me. I wasn't having a good time. But then I didn't behave the way I should have. So let your feelings be an indicator, but don't let them dictate your behavior. Tell your feelings to behave. Tell your feelings to behave. You're going to be disciplined. You're going to be angry, but don't, you don't have to sin. You know, you have to discipline your kids, but you don't have to do it in an inappropriate way. You know? You're going to have conversations with with your spouse or with your family members that live in your home, but you don't have to be inappropriate. You don't have to use hateful language or inappropriate language or 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 uh, you know words that aren't kind or names that aren't kind to make your point. I had someone uh, come to me one day, and she said, "My husband travels with his work. We have." one child, and I'm the one that's always at home with her. And so she's always, I have to discipline her all the time. Her dad's gone. And then when her dad comes home, he's home for such a short period of time. And then, you know, it's all fun times, and he gets to do all the fun stuff. And then he leaves town again, and I'm there left Monday through Friday doing the disciplining and trying to get the homework done and trying to get the house clean and trying to manage the the bad attitudes and he's not helping me with it and she wanted me to go and have counseling with them and I told her I wasn't going to do that but that I would share some advice with her and the advice that I gave her was to do the right thing my daughter tells me she hates me do the right thing anyway just keep doing the right thing so yes I said you need to have a conversation with your husband yes you need to explain to him that this isn't working well he's gone for his job and that's necessary but that you need his support, both while he's on the road and when he's back at the house. That sometimes you need to get to be the fun parent, and he needs to be the one that, uh, that executes the discipline. But either way, whether that happens or doesn't happen, you do the right thing. That child has grown up. That mother is no longer asking me questions about what she should do. The child has outgrown their immature behavior, their childish behavior, their selfish behavior. And she did the right thing throughout that child's life, and I'll tell you what, kids are selfish. They come out that way. You're born in sin, shaped in iniquity. The Bible wasn't lying. You have a little child in in preschool or in school or in Sunday school bite another child. I guarantee you, if you had video to watch it, it was over a toy that the one child was reaching for, which put their hand in very close proximity and made biting an, ex- an acceptable way to keep them from taking something from me. Kids don't usually bite just to bite. I guess it could happen, and maybe it does happen. I don't know. But usually it's because they're selfish, and they want something. They have something. You're trying to take it away from them, and they're going to fight for it. They're inherently selfish. It's horrible. And they'll do anything to get their way. Anything. And they're smart. They learn so fast. Which parent to ask, depending on the situation? They learn so quickly how to twist what mom said to make it sound like she said yes. 
when they come and they say, Mom said if you said I can go, I can go. And that's not what Mom said. But that's what they'll twist it to be. You have to be the adult. Children are selfish. You have to be the adult. But guess what? Some adults haven't outgrown this selfish behavior. And now we have a problem. Because now we have parents that are selfish. Parents that are acting like children. And so it may be come time to be an adult yourself. But you've got to have discipline. You've got to have discipline. Communication. Words matter. There are five elements of verbal communication that that I've come up with anyway, or that I have. You have to encode a message. You have to transmit the message. There's the delivery of the message. Tonight, it's with a microphone and speakers through a sound system. You have to receive the message, and then you have to decode the message. Anywhere in those five steps, the message can get messed up. Anywhere along that trajectory, I can be speaking to you on the telephone, and, and like that Verizon commercial, hello, are you still there? Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Can you re-? The message has been interrupted. Sometimes the message goes through fine, but it wasn't encoded properly or it wasn't decoded properly. Communication can be difficult. I, um, I, was, I think I was going to my parents' house. We were going to see about getting something to eat. I was speaking with my daughter on the phone. I was asking her about eating, and I'm almost positive I asked her if she wanted pizza, and she answered some question that I don't know what question it was, because she didn't say yes or no. She said something else. Uh, I don't remember what it was. I'm sorry. I can't remember. I hung up with her. I called my mother. I said, Ash and I are coming over. We're thinking about getting pizza. Do you want pizza? She said, would you like for me to pay for it? I was like, that's not the question that I asked you. I want to know if you want pizza. And then she answered a different question again. I I was really, I was kind of like, I'm sorry. Can can you tell me what question it was that I said? Maybe I said something wrong. What question did you hear me ask? Because the answer you're giving me doesn't, it's it's not computing. Communication can be difficult because if I don't encode the message correctly, then, then there's, there's a really good chance you're not going to get the message. I had a, a device, a thing in my car that was supposed to stick on the windshield. And I needed to put it away. I needed to put it where it went. It, I don't even know. I can't even remember. But it was supposed to go in the windshield of my truck. And it was in the car. And it was on the seat. And I was being very careful that it stayed in the same position that it was in so that the piece that had to adhere to the windshield wouldn't get stuff all over it. And so I had it sitting there on the seat of my car. And Ashlyn was going to be getting into the car. And so I said to Ashlyn, um, I think I said something along the lines of, I, I need to move stuff off of the seat before you can sit down. She heard things need to be moved off the seat. She did not hear, I, I need to be careful how this is moved, because I didn't say that. I encoded the wrong message, and she got the wrong message because I didn't encode it correctly. It wasn't about moving the thing. It was about making sure it didn't get messed up, but I didn't say that correctly to her, and so there was impossible for her to get the right message. Communication is, is tough. I did an appraisal a few, a few days ago. I get out of the car. Homeowners, uh, they're getting a loan. They're usually I'm there to do an appraisal for their mortgage, for their loan that they're getting, refinance or whatever. And their anxiety, they have anxiety about it. They're anxious. You know, it it varies based on how they respond. <clears throat> this gentleman came out and met me as I got out of the car. He comes out the door. Good morning. How are you today? Great. Thank you. Um, I'm going to start on the outside. I'm going around the house. I said this a minute ago. I know. Sorry. I'm going to measure and take pictures. I'm going to do these buildings over here, these sheds, barns. Then I'm going to come inside the house. I'll do the same on the inside of the house. And then I said, are all of these buildings on the same property with the house? And he said, they were here when I bought it. When I bought the house, they were here. And I said, Yes, but are they all on the same parcel? Are they all on the same piece of property with the house? And he said, my kids have filled them up with junk. 
I don't even think you'll be able to get inside of them. And I said, but I need to make sure they're on the same parcel with the house. Are, are they on the same piece of property? Uh, I really can't. I said, those are all included with the house, right? Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, but I didn't build them. They were already there. Okay, good. I'm glad. We were not communicating effectively. I, I don't feel like I was encoding the message wrong, but we were not communicating effectively. We got around to the side of the house. There's a set of steps and a door that goes to the basement. I said, is this the only way to get into the basement? It's right here on the side of the house, he said. I said, but is that the only way to get? Is there on the side of the house? It's on the side, just right down those steps. But is that the only way to get into the basement? Well, right here on the side of the house. Okay, fine. It's the only way into the basement, I guess. I don't know. He never did answer the questions that I asked. Never. The entire appraisal, he answered a different question than what. Communication can be difficult. Communication can be difficult. There's no question. Emotionally healthy homes employ kind and clear communication. Say what you mean. I like this. This is great. My mom shared this with me. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. Don't be mean when you say it. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. Don't be mean when you say it. Conversations that we have in our homes, they can provide instruction. They can be to provide correction. They can even be used for rebuke. But communication is vital to having an emotionally healthy home. It's important that we find ways to say what needs to be said. Conversations aren't always comfortable. A lot of them are, but they aren't always comfortable. And sometimes we have to have difficult conversations. And it's important that we keep trying. You know, that's, I think that's the, the key that's the piece that's different between the homes that are successfully emotionally healthy homes and the homes that aren't, is that when you get it wrong, you start over. When you get it wrong, you try again. When it doesn't come out right, you say, let me fix that. We, we have that all the time. My kid will be struggling to say something. Just say it. Just say it, and we'll fix it after you get done saying it. you got to have communication in your home. you got to give instruction to your, to your children. There's got to be correction. There's got to be, sometimes there's got to be rebuke. The other side of that is true as well. We have to be willing to receive instruction, to receive correction, and at times receive rebuke. Amen. I'll say amen. I always, uh, the other thing is don't afraid, don't be afraid to say I messed up. I think, um, As parents, as spouses, as leaders, there's so many times that we're afraid. I I don't know, there was a a commercial I heard on the radio. It's a mom and a dad, and they're slamming the door, and they're saying, you know, uh, you don't understand me, and all these different things. And, um, well, well, you did it when you were a teenager, and all these different things, and then you hear the one say to the other one, okay, are you ready to go talk to our kid? Okay, let's go. They're like practicing all the things their kid is going to say to them in in rebuttal against them going to tell their kid, don't smoke marijuana or whatever. Um, I think it's important that we don't let the fact that we've failed somewhere in our past keep us from telling our kids, this is what needs to be. This is the way it needs to go. This is how you need to live. This is the right way. Well, I I may not have gotten it right every time, but I'm going to keep trying. And then also, when you're having a day that's not emotionally healthy, and you come to yourself, you come to realize, I've been misbehaving, that you go and you say, I'm sorry, I wasn't behaving appropriately. That wasn't all right. Ashlyn, I should not have slammed the door on the car. That wasn't appropriate. Please forgive me. That's what you do. When you get it wrong, is you fix it. And then you start working on getting it right. Communication is important. Respect and honor. Respect to those above you. Respect to those across from you. And respect to those beneath you. I'm reminded of the centurion. When he went to Jesus and he wanted 
his uh, servant to be healed. And he said, I'm a man under authority. That always struck me as odd because he was like the, the guy in charge, right? He was the captain. He was the centurion. He's over men. But he says, I'm a man under authority. He understood authority. And so he understood, I've got someone above me. You know, husbands, you have someone above you. Your pastor and the Lord. Maybe a, 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 a mentor, a, a patriarch in your family. And then you have those beneath you, your kids maybe. And you have those across from you, your spouse, your siblings. If you're a sibling in a home, you have those across from you, your siblings. And so we should have respect and honor for those that we are in the home with. If we're going to have an emotionally healthy home, we're going to have to show respect and we're going to have to honor one another. When you go fly on an airplane, I always sit there and try to do the motions with the flight attendants. um, And they try not to look at me. But I try to get them to look at me. And um, they'll go through all these instructions of what to do and where the doors are. And if the cabin loses pressure, an oxygen mask is going to drop down. And then they teach you, they show you how to put the oxygen mask on your face and how to pull the strings and all that. And if you've ever listened to this, one of the things they say is, if you are caring for a child or an elderly person or someone that's dependent on you, put your oxygen mask on first. Seems contrary. Oh my, there's no oxygen. I've got to help this person who can't help themselves. But they'll tell you, put your mask on first and then help them. Because if you pass out from lack of oxygen, now both of you are in trouble. This person that is depending on you is in trouble and you're in trouble. So you have to affix your oxygen mask first so that you can stay alert and conscious and able to help this person that's depending on you. In my opinion, in your home, your relationship with your spouse is the relationship that you need to put the oxygen mask on first. It's the part that you need to take care of first. It's the most important part. If strong churches are built on strong families, strong families are built on strong marriages. And if strong marriages are what's going to make the family unit work, then that's the most important relationship in your home, is your marriage. Amen. So you have to make sure that your relationship with the spouse has priority. I can't tell you how many times I see and hear comments on social media, in public, of people just doting over their children. And, you know, I get it. They're important. I, I'm reminded right now, I probably shouldn't say it, but I'm reminded right now of a comedy bit Jeff Foxworthy does where he says he was sitting in the back of the car facing out the back window in the station wagon and he says back before the children weren't too important to go out the front windshield with the rest of the family and over time it kind of seems like we've gotten a little bit out of kilter we've gotten a little bit out of balance where yes children are important and 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 yes we should care for them and take care of them and we should not uh, allow them to be in dangerous situations and keep them in a healthy safe environment Part of that comes by making sure that the family unit is strong and healthy. Amen. And part of that comes by making sure that the parents that care for them are strong and emotionally healthy. Amen. So that's the first relationship. I always say fight fair. Fight fair. I, um, I know of people who prided themselves that they never had fights in their relationship. We don't have disagreements. We don't have fights. I can tell you right now, if there's not disagreements happening in your home, someone is stuffing their feelings. And that's not healthy. So I say fight. But when you fight, fight fair. Pastor's going to have to come fix all this, I know. I think sometimes semantics get into the, in the way. So whatever you want to call it, if it's a fight, if it's an argument, if it's a conflict, if it's a discussion, if it's a serious talk, if you're like Walmart and it's an opportunity. Anybody ever work for Walmart? I used to work for Walmart. And they'd get on the thing, they'd be like, we have an opportunity on aisle four. 
That means someone spilled the laundry detergent again. That's what that means. There's an opportunity. They don't call them employees. They're associates. I don't care. Whatever the semantics are, whatever you call it, there needs to be resolution of conflicts, of fights, of arguments, of disagreements, whatever you want to call it. You need to have that. That needs to be healthy. I think some things should be worth fighting for. I'm sorry, dear. My wife and I have gone through this over and over again where I have said, I want you to fight with me. She said, what? I want you to fight with me. I want this to be important enough to you that if you have to fight with me to get me to pay attention to you, that you will. I want, I, I, look, let me try and make you understand what I'm trying to say. I think my children being in a healthy environment is worth fighting for. I think my children having a home where the parents are staying together is worth fighting for. And if I have to fight with you over that, I'm going to. That's what I mean. <clears throat> but when you fight, fight fair. Don't use name calling. Don't do all this nonsense. Have good, healthy conversations. But when you fight, fight fair. We're on the same team. I say this to Robin all the time. Hey, we're on the same team. You're getting upset. I am getting upset because we're not winning. This is a situation where it's not going the way that it should go. We're in a situation where things aren't going the direction that I want them to go, that you want them to go. We're not getting it to go the way that it wants to go. But if you fail, I fail. And if I fail, you fail. We're on the same team. So if we're not winning, we're losing, and I don't want us to lose. So if i got to fight with you to get that point across, I'm going to. But when I do, fight fair. I heard uh, uh, Focus on the Family one morning, driving 4 o'clock in the morning, headed to the landfill, Focus on the Family's on. This lady's talking, her and her husband, they're the, the guest speakers. And she says, whenever my husband and I have an argument, we hold hands. I think he said that. Whenever we have an argument, we hold hands. And she says, yeah, that gives me one less hand to hit him with. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe in your home everything is calm and peaceful and there's never any disagreement. No one's ever saying, I didn't get the biggest piece. No one's ever saying, it's not right that you did that. No one's ever saying, oh, gross, what did you leave in the tub? But those kind of things are the things that happen at my house and they have to be resolved. And when you resolve them, it's important that you do it in a fair way, that you do it with respect that you do it with honor, that you do it with dignity. But man, if it's worth fighting for, you need to fight. I think it still makes sense. Respect and honor. I'm not going to go real far down this road. I'm even a little bit hesitant to even say anything about it. You know, there's so many examples in Scripture where God uses the natural to make a spiritual point. I love this kind of stuff. This is, like, this is like where I live. When Jesus said, if your child asks for bread, would you give him a stone? When your, your child asks for fish, would you give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? How much more does our Heavenly Father like to give us good gifts? He uses the natural to make a spiritual point. You know, your kids ever mess up? Oh, you messed up. Now you're eating a stone for dinner instead of bread. We're not going to do that to our kid. And God's not going to do that to us. Isn't that awesome? His grace and his mercy is so incredible. And he's able to take something that we do understand right in here and say, this is how I think about you. This is how I want to treat you. There's another example in Scripture. It's not the most popular one. Husbands love like Christ loved the church and died for the church. I think that's an important place to start. Husbands, you're supposed to love your wife the way Christ loves the church. So be ready to spread your arms and be nailed to a cross for her. Because that's the love you're supposed to be demonstrating to her. If you're going to get up on the whole wives submit to your husbands thing, you better remember the love your wife the way Christ loved the church part. Right? right? He was not inappropriate. This was not a, this was not a, a, a master-servant relationship. Amen. And wives, submit your, to your husbands. This is God's design. Pastor didn't write this plan. 
I didn't write this plan. God wrote this plan. And it is incredibly rewarding in your relationship when it is properly implemented. Incredibly rewarding. This is not about who makes more money or who cleans the house or who does the dishes. This is about two people demonstrating the love of God by correctly, appropriately living inside the structure that God designed. Respect and honor. Amen. It's an incredible thing when it's done right. So respect and honor is seen in our manners, the way we address one another. Another sign of an emotionally healthy home is often seen by the way we care for the things we have. I remember pastor talking about having an old vehicle, but he always cleaned it out, vacuumed, washed it, kept it nice. You, you can have respect for your home. You can have respect for the things in your home. You can have respect and honor for the people in your home. And that's going to lead to an emotionally healthy home. Amen. We need to seek peace. We need to seek peace. It's important that we keep our priorities in focus, that we don't forget the goal. The ultimate goal is heaven. For you, your spouse, your kids, their kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. That's the ultimate goal. And that's what we have to keep in mind. That that's what the goal is. That's what the goal of being spiritually healthy is, financially healthy, and emotionally healthy. The goal, the reason that we come on Sundays and Wednesdays, the reason that we live for God, the reasons that we we spend our time in prayer and Bible reading and fasting, because we want to make heaven our home. I love that thought. Two things that I've tried to impart to my children. On that day when the trumpet sounds and the church is called away, number one, be there. That's the most important thing for me. Robin and I have worked with children's ministry in several different places that we've lived along the way. And I told Robin way back at the very beginning when they were two and three, What a shame it would be for me to teach some other child and have them repent and get baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and my kids not know the gospel. My kids not know the truth. My kids not understand what godliness looks like and what holy living looks like. And so I have made it, we have made it our greatest, craziest intention to make sure that, you know what, I I go up to them even still today. You know, I love it, what you're doing. It's great. I want you to be successful. I hope you do wonderful in that career, but you better love Jesus. Be in love with Jesus. It's the most important thing. Be in love with Jesus. This is the priority. This is the focus. Why do I want an emotionally healthy home? Because I want a place where my kids can learn about God. I want a place where my family can, can see what godliness looks like, what a godly relationship looks like. As I was saying a moment ago, and I forgot to point out, your marriage relationship is supposed to show what God's relationship with the church looks like. That's what your marriage is supposed to be a reflection of. Pastor said it at marriage retreat this this year. Amen. So keep your priorities in focus and don't forget that the goal is heaven. The ultimate goal for you and for your spouse and your kids and your family. Everything else. Everything else should be sacrificed on the battlefield of making sure that everyone in your home is ready to see Jesus. It's the most important thing. Nothing else is more important. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, says a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Seek peace. Seek peace in your home. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Amen. I want to have an emotionally healthy home. I want my family to see what an emotionally healthy home is. I want to be intentional and provide that structure and that discipline, have good communication, and have honor and respect in my home. Joshua chapter 24 verse 15 says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day. Whom ye will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, my goal, my choice, my desire is that I have an emotionally healthy home because I want my family to see the Lord someday. 
And when you visit my home and when other people see my home, I want them to see Jesus. And that's what my goal is. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm searching for. That's what I'm trying for. Amen. Would you stand with me this evening? I hope I've said something tonight that reminds you or encourages you, admonishes you, if you need to, to make changes, and if you don't need to, to keep doing the right, keep doing what's right in the, in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. I always tell everybody, if, if anything I've said has caused you to think, man, I need to get my act together, it's never too late to start. It's never too late to start. And my kids are 10, start now. My kids are 20, start now. My kids have kids, start now. Right? Amen. Another thing I like to tell everybody, it's never too late to start over. So I messed up. Okay, start over. I started and then now, I, now I've finished. I've quit. Okay, start over. It's never too late to start. It's never too late to start over. Amen. Because I want us to have emotionally healthy homes. Amen. I love our church. I think we have the greatest church on the face of the earth. I think it's incredible. But it's only going to stay that way if we keep being intentional and keep working and keep striving to, to get it right and to keep it right. Amen. So if it's not right, work on it. Make it right. It's worth it. It's worth every bit of it. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. I ask you, God, that your word would, would go and it would get in our hearts and in our minds. It would help us, Lord, to make the necessary adjustments to our homes. God, we want to have emotional health in our homes. We want strong families. We want strong marriages. We want strong family relationships. And we want our homes to be an excellent example of what it's like to live for you, what it's like to have you as the center of our life. We ask you, God, that you would minister in each and every one of us. Keep us safe as we travel. And we thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.